This message first aired on the radio on June 14, 2004. We're taking up the epistle of the Ephesians, and we're in the first chapter, and we left ourselves in the 14th verse. We want to run right to it and pick up where we left off last time, wherein we discuss the earnest of our inheritance until the purchased redemption, excuse me, until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now, in the 14th verse, we have uh, all of a sudden referenced, rather out of the way referenced, uh, the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And that is an aside. It is a, it is a foregoing statement, as it were, uh, to explain to us the new nature and the present possession that we have. He's raised up the subject of inheritance. Immediately when we discuss inheritance, we should be thinking in the future tense. Inheritance is something that is received in the future uh, upon the uh, completion and the and the death of the of the uh, testator, but also in this particular case, our inheritance has to do with what we referred to in verse ten of First Corinthians, the dispensation of the fullness of times. This is when not only Christ receives his inheritance, but we also receive ours. Now it it turns out, and we will look at this when we get down to the eighteenth verse. But we are his inheritance. We are his heritage. And so when he inherits us, we, as it were, inherit him. And what, what is more for us in him than that which we already have? Now that which we already have is referenced in verse 14 so that we would understand that we should know something about the inheritance that we yet wait for because not only have we received a down payment, but it is a down payment in the very same kind that our final inheritance will be. If that sounds a little bit complicated, it's not too complicated because uh, uh, it, it attaches to that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, or you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised, and you were sealed with that. Sealed in what way? We see a sealing here. Well, sealing has to do with the signet ring of the signatory. It is a, it is a legal term. When something is sealed, that means that it is signed. We talk about signed, sealed, and delivered. Our uh, inheritance is signed and sealed. It's not fully delivered, but in part it has been delivered. And that's where we have the pledge or the earnest of our inheritance. And what is this earnest uh, of our inheritance? It is the new nature that God gives uh, to every believer who has trusted Christ. It is the enjoyment of being in Christ today. That is really what the pledge is. We have the all the enjoyment that will come to those faithful in Christ in the coming day, uh, all of that to look forward to, about which most of the Scripture is written, by the way. Most of the Scripture is not written about the gift of God, which is eternal life. Most of the Scripture is written to those who have already believed and uh, has to do with that which remains for them in Christ, uh, the way of suffering and glory. That's what most of the Scripture is about. Most of the Scripture not written to a lost person. Very little of the Scripture uh, written to a lost person. It uh, doesn't need to know very much to be saved. needs to understand that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer and, to and that faith comes by hearing and that simply trusting in Jesus Christ gives you eternal life. 
Correspondingly, the new nature or the pledge is given to the believer. The person of the Holy Spirit promised, given by God, fulfilling that promise, and the new nature given to the believer corresponding to the Holy Spirit so that God's Spirit can now communicate to our spirit in that new nature and we have peace with God and we have communication with God. Uh, That we learn from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. Now here in the 14th verse of the first chapter of Ephesians, we see this is the earnest of our inheritance. So not only is it a down payment, but it is uh, something of the same ilk as we have coming in the future. Uh, with it is, it is not only in a, a portion of the inheritance that we have coming, but it is the same kind of a, a gift uh, or a inheritance uh, that we have. So the earnest is a piece of that inheritance to let us know and understand what the rest of the inheritance is, and also, by the way, to assure us uh, that God has truly provided it. Uh, And this, of course, all part and parcel of what God has given to us in Christ already, uh, that is the earnest of our inheritance. But we still wait now, just as the Lord Jesus Christ waits for his inheritance, uh, we're not going to inherit uh, apart from him. And so he's still waiting for his inheritance, and his inheritance, uh, we find later in this epistle, is in fact God's people, it is us. And so that's a marvelous thought. Now, one might rightly ask, how is it that Jesus Christ can inherit anything? After all, he made everything. The the fullness of the earth is his. As we pray, uh, as we've learned to pray from reading the scripture, when we give thanks for what we eat, for example, uh, we we give thanks to the Lord. Uh, the the, The earth is his and the fullness thereof. That is, the earth and everything in it. Well, that's not only the case. Uh, that that which is in the heavens is his that which is in the earth is his and that which is under the earth is his and part of his inheritance is to receive glory from all those things while he is the true owner of all those things he's not receiving glory from all those things now in order for us to understand the inheritance and the whole notion of the Lord Jesus inheritance we have to understand what made him go We we have to understand what made the Lord Jesus Christ tick. And uh, this, of course, we can't know except we learn it in the scripture. It doesn't do good for us to speculate about the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Our mind is not his mind, and all of our speculations are false. But all the revelation that we have in the scripture is true. So instead of speculating on the foolish question, what would Jesus do? Let's ra- uh, rather uh, look at what Jesus Christ did and uh, what the scripture says about it, and let's look about his mental state. Let's look about what made him tick and his motivation. First, we'll look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And Hebrews, the 12th chapter, is an exhortation, begins with an exhortation to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, And by the way, that sin is the abandonment of the principle of grace through faith and to operate on a different principle. Uh, The sin is the same one for all of us. The one that does so easily beset us is the sin of setting aside faith and going to a different principle. Uh, So here now it says, Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 
Now that's the exhortation to the Christian here in Hebrews 12. That is, that is often the exhortation to the Christian. It is not the exhortation to rest. We don't need to be exhorted to rest in him. We have that as a present position, uh, possession, the, the rest from our own works. But we now have a race to run patiently where we will run or walk in works that are prepared for us to walk in. We'll get to that when we come to the later chapters of the epistle of the Ephesians, but this, by the way, anticipates uh, the same thought. Uh, Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Immediately, if we think about this, our our mind moves uh, to the 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and uh, where we and and the end of the ninth chapter where the apostle paul talked about the way that he ran the tenth chapter talking about the great threats that are before us in that race but you don't run a race uh, to receive a gift that's not how gifts are received gifts are received without doing anything Uh, but running a race you run to win a prize so this is now the the prize the the thought here in hebrews 12 is not the gift of god but it's the prize of god to run with patience the race that is set before us and the way that we run patiently continuing okay there there's the quality that's needed needed patience is needed to run it uh and it's set before us so it's a future thing uh and we can't be looking at the circumstances of the race but instead we have to look away as it says in verse 2 looking away, away from that which is sight, and looking therefore by the eyes of our understanding, being enlightened, looking through the eyes of faith, looking away unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Of course, we see him here referenced as the author and finisher. We're talking about running a race with patience. We're talking about finishing. We can't be looking at the conditions of the race. We can't be looking at the conditions of our, of our state. We have to be looking away unto Jesus and thinking about the conditions of our standing in him. And one of the things that the epistle of the Ephesians is going to tell us and distinguish for us is the vast distinguish. Uh, the the vast difference between our standing in Christ and our state here below. It isn't that we have to not to pay any attention to our state, but our state here below does not equal our standing in Christ. In Christ, we are complete. We are perfect in Him. We uh, are accepted in the Beloved. We have that. That is our standing. Our state, on the other hand, can be unfaithful or faithful. It can be that He approves of us or that not approves of us or that disapproves of us, we must not confuse our state with our standing. And whenever it is that we want to look uh, to resources to run with patience the race that's before us, uh, we'll be very discouraged if we look upon our state, but we'll be very encouraged if we look upon our standing in Christ and know that he superabounds with grace toward us. And so here in verse 2 of Hebrews, looking away, literally, looking away unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. He's the one that started us. He's the one who will finish us. Faithful is he that called you that he will also do it. He that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is our faith 
This is our confidence. Our confidence is never in ourselves, and it is never in our state. When we evaluate our state before God, uh, we can be sure that he is faithful to remind us of, of very many offenses. But when we find our state to be satisfactory to God, that's when we're in trouble because he's the only one who knows. We need to look away unto Jesus and depend upon our standing in him and his overflowing grace toward us which comes how on the principle of faith so it is through by grace through faith and that's the sin that easily besets us is to abandon that principle and to pick up something else so here we're reminded again in hebrews looking away unto jesus now we are looking for the motivation of the lord jesus christ that resulted in his successful anticipation of his inheritance and uh, that's what we'll get to now looking away unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him now we have a race set before us he had joy that was set before him in our race we will find our joy in the lord's uh, uh, mission set before him and it's not called a race here. It was his purpose. It's his cross. It's the way of his cross. In that joy that was set before him, he endured. And of course, when we talk when we talk about endurance, we see again the exact almost the same thing as the word for patience. It does have patience in it. He patiently endured the cross. We need to patiently continue in the race. So our race compares favorably and analogously to his cross and we can either go that way or not go that way when we look unto the Lord Jesus Christ when we look away unto him we can see how he went that way and he went that way with the motivation the joy that was set before him I assure you that his joy was not the cross itself that was not his joy his joy was the fruit of the cross and we'll look at we're going to look at that in a scripture in the book of isaiah in just a moment but here he said it says he endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of god now let me talk for a moment about the shame uh, let me talk for a moment about the shame because i think we don't talk about this enough and uh as uh, with one another but it, here it says he despised shame he did not take into account this is what it means by despising he counted shame of no regard we could look at the epistle of the philippians and see the humiliation of the lord and i say the humiliation of the lord the humility also of the lord who not only came into the race of men but within the race of man took on the form of man uh, so he came in man's form which was a humility for him and being found in fashion as a man also further humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a servant so among men he was a servant and he 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 did not regard shame now they that trust in the lord will never be ashamed with the lord and they'll never be ashamed before the lord but don't don't kid yourself the christian life is a life uh, when properly lived that the world despises and mocks and that the world considers a shame and very many times continually by the way is you follow the race that is set before you as that i follow the one set before me 
there's going to be shame. There's going to be the cruel mocking and scorn of the world. In fact, the world will regard us as the worst of men, not the best of men. That is the way of the cross. And, uh, for example, I'm preaching to, to you today on BibleStudy.net. We're on the public airwaves. Uh, we're on the Internet. And there are those who, by the way, consider such preaching as this to be shameful, uh, ridiculous, uh, foolishness. Well, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Now, this is who the Lord Jesus was. Verse 3, this is the way that he walked. It's the way he is, I should say. It's the way he walked. Uh, verse 3, For consider him that endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now here's the problem with the race set before you. You need to look away unto Jesus instead of looking at your circumstances and looking at the events that they produce because he endured the cross. Shame was not something that he took into account. So if you are being shamed, if you're being mocked as you live your Christian life, think nothing of that. You look unto Jesus, look away unto him, and see that he endured sinners against himself. Now it may be your uh, maybe you are experiencing in the way of the cross that which is for you there, which is the contradiction of sinners against you. Uh, Save sinners and lost sinners. Uh, both. Doesn't matter. Sinners are sinners. And uh, he also endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. And it was a contradiction. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a const- uh, against his own determination. After all, he came to die for sinners. But this is the antilogia. This is the opposition of sinners against himself. He faced a constant opposition of those who hated him and those who despised him. That was an everyday occurrence for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you think about that, uh, you should be satisfied that you're on the wrong course. If you don't look away unto him and consider that aspect of the, of the spiritual warfare that exists for your life, you will get weary, you will faint in your mind, and of course that will cause you to collapse in the race. You're listening to BibleStudy.net. I'm John Malone. I'll be back in a minute. So we're looking at the motivation of the Lord Jesus Christ in his inheritance. What was it that led to him uh, obtaining his heritage, his inheritance, and then we'll see what that inheritance is. We're going to see a little bit about what it is, by the way, in just looking at his motivation. And uh, we do see that he was steadfastly, patiently enduring the cross, despising the shame, enduring... And what was that cross? Well, it was the it was the opposition, it was the hostile enmity of sinners against himself. Now we turn to Isaiah 53. This is a common Lee referred to chapter of scripture. This is a, chi- a, a scripture, by the way, my Jewish friend, which uh, they, uh, your leaders don't want you to read. Your rabbi doesn't want you to read this because in this chapter of scripture, uh, we find a, 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 an excellent description of our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember one time I was with an Israeli friend uh, with whom I was working on some software, and uh, my Israeli friend came over for dinner and uh, we were talking about the different languages of the Bible, and we were talking about uh, the fact that the Christian scriptures are the complete scriptures and that the Hebrew scriptures are not. And so I asked him, I said, I would like to hear some reading in Hebrew, do you mind? And we were quite good friends, by the way, and so uh, he didn't mind a bit, and I took out my triglot, and so there was also uh, English language version 
of the scripture, and there was a Greek uh, version of the scripture as well, as the Septuagint was in a, in a separate column. And I asked him to read the, the Hebrew uh, here in Isaiah 53, and he read the whole thing. And I said to him, so what do you think of that? And he said, well, that's Jesus. I said, well, you said that, not me. And he said, but this is your book. I said, no, this is your book. He said, but I don't remember studying this in school. I don't remember reading this. I said, well, maybe they didn't have you to read this chapter. Uh, but this is the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And he looked uh, back in some other places and discovered that that was true and uh, became quite uh, quiet with me and silent. In fact, he left my company at that moment. And uh, we didn't really talk about things again because he was convicted that by reading the Hebrew Scriptures here in Isaiah 53, uh, that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing that I've un come to understand, I don't know how true it is, but I was told this uh, by another uh, Jewish friend, that uh, until you're 40 years old, you're not allowed to read uh, this portion of Scripture, or you're not, it's not recommended that anyone under 40 read this Scripture, uh, which teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's despised and rejected of men in verse 3 of Hebrews uh, of uh, Isaiah 53, 3, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces, uh, as it were, from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So there you see his that he was despised. Of course, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his deaths, and that's a plural term there, because the Lord Jesus Christ suffered deaths. He died, he suffered the second death first, and that's why you hear him praying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he died the first death second, which was his physical death, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He was with the rich in his deaths, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Now, when we uh, see here in the 10th verse, and that I've, I read all of that just for my Jewish friends so that, and, uh, that you would enjoy uh, the identification of the Lord Jesus Christ in the prophet Isaiah. But let me say now, we come to the 10th verse, and we say, well, why did he suffer? What, what is all this about? How did, he, how did he go through this? What was in the mind of God? What was in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ in his suffering and death? What made him go? After all, as the Apostle Paul said in the epistle of the Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives his life in me, literally, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if we want to see what's going to 
motivate or tick in our minds, in our regenerate minds, what was in the mind of Christ, what is in the mind of Christ, what composes the mind of Christ uh, as, as we approach the subject of, of uh, remaining faithful unto our inheritance then it behooves us to look away unto Jesus. We can look away unto him here in Isaiah. We have to look away with the eyes of our faith. We can't see him. One thing that's absolutely manifest is the Lord Jesus Christ is invisible, and I'm not Jesus to you. The Scriptures will declare to you, Jesus is Jesus to you. The Lord Jesus Christ will be the Lord to you, and he's found not by the eyes of your head, but he's found with the eyes of your understanding on the basis of grace through faith. Here's the faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Here's the word of God, Isaiah 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Now, here we see the when thou statement. And uh, there's something marvelous uh, in this entire statement, in, in the whole uh, notion, uh, when thou uh, just the just the statement thou by a human being is an amazing statement really when you say when thou and thou uh, when not addressed to another person is me addressing god uh, o lord now it says when thou shalt make his soul this the the prophet writing when thou shalt make his his soul an offering for sin now we have god making his life or his his soul or him uh, this his life, when thou shalt make his life an offering for sin, this is the Hebrew word nephesh, it's the word for soul. It corresponds to the Greek word suke, the life. When thou shalt make his life an offering for sin. So we now see who made Jesus Christ the sin offering. Is God the Father? It is God the Father. He made Jesus Christ the sin offering. Men would have wanted to take his life from him, but they couldn't. He wouldn't let them. He said, I have power to lay my life down, and I have power to take it up again. He told Pilate, there's nothing you could do except it's given to you by my Father in heaven. And, of course, I always do those things that please the Father. That's what the Lord Jesus said about himself. So it pleased the Father to make the Lord Jesus Christ a sin offering, or an offering for sin, as it says in Isaiah 53.10. Now, this harkens back, of course, to the the old truth, the same old truth that was given to Esau. Well, if you haven't done well, a sin offering lies at the door. And so here's the sin offering lying at the door. Esau rejected the offering for sin. Uh, you, my friend, are in the same danger as Esau if you also do the same. But if you accept the offering that God made for sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will now notice what made him tick. It says, He shall see seed. We're still in Hebrews, or excuse me, Isaiah 53, verse 10. He shall see seed. This now is the one who is the sin offering, the one whose life was an offering for sin. Here's what the Lord Jesus saw. He saw seed. You remember the epistle of the Hebrews said, Who for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy set before him? He shall see seed. He saw seed. He saw except the corn of wheat die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What did he see? He saw the fruit bearing of his death. He saw seed. He said, this is seed. 
Of course, when we say seed here, uh, we know it is seed as of one and not seeds many. He saw himself the seed. Of course, this is the seed of the woman. This harkens back to the original promise of the Savior in Genesis 3. What full meaning, how involved and coordinated are the scriptures of God? Uh, They are the best evidence of themselves that they're written by God. He shall prolong days. Now, I give unto them, as the Lord Jesus Christ said, prolonged days. What do you mean, he shall prolong days? The Lord Jesus Christ says, I give unto them eternal life. It's what he gives me. He gives me eternal life. Uh, he that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall never perish, has already passed through death into life. He prolongs days. Everybody seems to be interested today And in how do you prolong your life. Well, you want to prolong your life into eternity? Uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The best medical practice, the best health practice you have today has nothing to do with what you eat. It has nothing to do with what you, how you exercise. It has to do with believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is God's diet plan. I notice there's just ridiculous stuff being written about God's diets. Uh, it's disgraceful. Uh, it's apostate. Uh, It's ridiculous. It's all about making money. But God's diet plan is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll live forever. Now, there's some good health advice. And uh, he shall prolong days. Not his own days. He didn't prolong his own days. After all, he's God Almighty, eternal. Those days cannot be prolonged. You can't prolong anything that's infinite. But he'll prolong days. That is, he prolongs days of those who believe in him. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Of course, he always did those things which please the Father, as we have said. Now, verse 11. This is a very interesting verse of Scripture, not very well understood. In fact, commonly misinterpreted by uh, expositors. He shall see of the travail of his soul. Now, this he is still the Lord Jesus. And it doesn't say what so many say it says. So many say that this scripture says he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied, as if God needs to see suffering by the Lord Jesus Christ to be satisfied. Uh, God did not need to see the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ to somehow be satisfied, as if if he uh, was uh, appeased like the heathen gods. He's not appeased. Uh, the, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, did not appease God. It was really necessary to purchase and to uh, pay for the penalty of sin. It, it's not an appeasement. The scripture doesn't call it an appeasement, the work of Christ an appeasement. He calls it a, it's called a redemption. It's called an atonement. It's a genuine, real payment for genuine, real debt. And uh, so here is not about God the Father looking on the travail of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and being satisfied with it, uh, even though there might be something true about his satisfaction with the work of Jesus Christ. It's not found in this verse. This he that sees doesn't see the travail of his soul. He sees of the travail of his soul. Of the travail. That's a very different matter. He sees the produce, and this should probably be translated that way. He shall see the productivity, or he shall see the fruit of the travail 
of his soul. He shall see of the travail. That is, that which the travail of his soul, that which the birth pains of his soul, that which the suffering of that he went through produces. That's what he saw. He sees, and it is the Lord Jesus that sees it, he sees the fruit-bearing of his work and shall be satisfied. And that is what made the Lord Jesus go. Here in verse 11 of Isaiah 53, he'll be satisfied. He will see of his own work. He sees what his work is about and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. So now here is exactly what, because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is going to be divided uh, to an inheritance. He he is going to be uh, given an inheritance. And he will divide the spoil with the strong. Now, here we see an inheritance given to the Lord in Isaiah 53.12, and that he will then divide out the spoil and and of course here is the spoil of the of the of the strong man who robbed mankind this is the spoil of the devil the lord jesus christ bound up the strong man and plundered his house the house that adam gave to him the lord jesus christ bound up the strong man by his cross and plundered his house and he took spoil and he will divide the spoil with the strong those who qualify he's not going to divide the, divide the spoil with the weak He's going to divide the spoil with the strong. And so what did the Lord take? Well, what did Satan have? Satan had rulership in the heavens and over the earth. And the Lord Jesus Christ, as a man, bound the strong man in in his house, tied him up, and plundered his house, made an open show of him victoriously in the cross. And in so doing, he uh, led captive a host of captives. Uh, That's us. And uh, he also spoiled the strong man's house, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors, he bare the sin of many, he made intercession for the transgressors. Now, what did he do? Well, he uh, uh, now is set for inheritance. We see what made him go. The joy that was set before him was that he saw seed. He saw of the travail of his soul. This now explained to us in more detail in the epistle of the Ephesians. And here in the epistle of Ephesians is the first time that we really see declared clearly that that which the Lord Jesus Christ won includes the church which is his body in him that he has one body where there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Well, we'll get to that as we continue uh, later uh, in the epistle and we come to the second chapter. But now we come back, all that said, uh, to set up uh, our understanding of this, the redemption of the purchased possession, uh, the earnest of our inheritance until, verse 14, the redemption of the purchased possession. Now that, that that redemption is tied up also with the presentation of the glorious presentation uh, of the sonship, which the whole creation is waiting for, 
according to the book of Romans, and which is a yet future time, uh, which is, by the way, uh, called uh, the beginning of the dispensation of the fullness of times when everything in heaven and earth will be summed up in Jesus Christ. That's the grand thought of this first chapter of Ephesians. Now we come back to the 15th verse, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And we'll come back with that last thought as soon as we have this brief break. I'm John Malone, and you're listening to BibleStudy.net. So the apostle breaks into this uh, uh, prayer and this explanation to the believers in the middle of his teaching, verse 15 through 17, where he said, I want you and I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That is in the detailed knowledge, this is deep knowledge, in the detailed knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me say, he knows us, and when uh, he finds us, that's when we become born again. And uh, this is an experience we all have. But let me say that the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ requires detailed study, and God would have us to have detailed knowledge of him. And he says, uh, I pray in my prayers, as that's how he prays, he prays in prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, I want to say that God gives us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask God and he'll give to us wisdom, but he doesn't give us revelation itself. He gives us the spirit of revelation, and uh, all the revelation we need that God gives, He gives to us when we're born again. And that revelation is, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, that the Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty. Uh, who do men say that I am? Some say, I, some say Jeremiah, some say John the Baptist, others say Isaiah. Who do you say that I am? The Apostle Paul says, uh, or the Apostle Peter answers that question, uh, that you are the Lord Jesus Christ, you are uh, the Son of God, and uh, then the Lord says, you're blessed there, uh, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, my Father in heaven. So that's the revelation that you get, and that's all the revelation you need, because the rest of the revelation is given in the Scripture. But in order to plumb the Scripture and to take out of the Scripture those things concerning Christ, we all need the spirit of revelation the spirit of revelation because the word of god is god breathed the word of god was written just like the prophets of old spoke by the holy spirit that was in them the word of god was written by the holy spirit that was in the writer and is sanctified now for our reading and so we need the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ and god will give that to you by the way uh, you can pray for it yourself. You can pray for it for others. I pray that God would give every listener the spirit of wisdom uh, and revelation in the, in the detailed knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we wouldn't be misled and so that our meditation would be about him and we wouldn't be stuck meditating about ourselves. Well, here now he says uh, this, 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. These are the eyes of the heart. Uh, that's literally what it says. The eyes of your heart being enlightened. Well, or, or the eyes of your of your mind. Uh, uh, we need we need the eyes of our mind opened. Uh, the eyes of our body look upon things that are deceitful. The eyes of our understanding or the eyes of our mind need to be open in order that we would know not his calling it doesn't say that you would know that what is his calling but what is the hope of his calling well we all have one hope friends the hope of his calling is to be pleasing to him in that rendezvous time when he will dispense the spoil with the strong and that is at the judgment seat of christ we can learn that from the scripture now he, he, he the, the apostle wanted the eyes of our understanding if this written to us and it is this epistle is written to me and to you if you believed on the lord jesus christ and he's not praying that the lost man have his eyes uh, of his understanding enlightened or filled with light you know you can't see unless light goes through your pupil and strikes the optic nerve your eyes have to be filled with light. Of course, the Apostle Paul here recalls his own revelation of Jesus Christ. When he was blinded, so much light hit his eyes, he was temporarily blinded. And of course, is that temporary blindness in part for Paul, blindness in part had happened to Paul, so that he would understand the mystery that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Uh, we could go on and on uh, in the detailed knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we do BibleStudy.net? Because we know a little bit about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're excited about it, and we enjoy it. Uh, that, but let's uh, just be clear here. We all want to know him more. All of, all of history is about him. All of eternity will be learning about him. The eyes of our understanding need to be opened that we would know what is the hope of his calling. Now, so many Christians I meet do not know what the hope of the Lord's calling is. In fact, they scarcely know that they're called. Well, they know that they're called, but what is the hope of his calling? Well, what we need to know, not is what the, is the hope of our own calling, but what was the hope of his calling, and we'll find out that our lives are tied up in his, in his, in his life, and that his life was all about seeing the fruit of his own work. In fact, his life was about finding us and seeing us as his inheritance. That's where we come to in verse 18. So the apostle prays, the eyes of your understanding being filled with light that you may know, that you may know. Now, just because we don't know everything and anybody who says that he knows the word of God as he ought to know it doesn't know it very well, but that doesn't mean we don't know anything. I think a lot of times we're one extreme or the other. We either think we know everything or we don't think we know anything. Well, I don't know everything, and I certainly don't know the scriptures like I ought to know them. I should know them better, and uh, I'm, I purpose to do that. But, uh, w of course, my purposing doesn't, doesn't really mean much, but I need to know them better. That's a certainty. But let me just say this. That doesn't mean I don't know anything. I know something. And uh, I would like to know more about what the hope of his calling is and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now we see about his inheritance. This is what made him go, Hebrews 12, 
Isaiah 53, this is what made him go. What made him go was his inheritance. It was the fruit of his labors, the result of his work. And what are the riches of the glory in his inheritance? There, It's in the saints. That's what we find, verse 18. Let me read uh, again, 15 through 18, so that we can see uh, exactly what's being said. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That is, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, we have to know that his inheritance in the saints is what his great riches were to him. That was the hope of his calling, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we see him as the author and finisher of faith, and so now, additionally to knowing that, we want to know, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the super heavenlies or in the heavenly places. Now, of course, we have to understand about the Lord Jesus Christ before we can understand anything about ourselves. We have to understand about His work, what He did, and God's purpose in Him. This now given to the Apostle to be revealed to us. God's eternal purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ with respect to us. And it was all about uh, us, His inheritance, which is by the way, the capstone of his inheritance is his people. It is the fruit of his labor which are his people. In fact, it is the church which is his body in this particular content in this particular context. Additionally, the apostle not only wanted us to know the detailed knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but for a purpose. And the purpose of knowing that, of, of getting to know that detailed knowledge uh, doesn't have to do with mere satisfaction of our curiosity. The Apostle Paul was never concerned about knowing the Word of God for the satisfaction of his intellectual curiosity or uh, to answer his personal questions, and he did not want to know simply the details and information of the scripture but he wanted to know it in power and he wanted to know the power of God in his life and of course this wanting to know the power of God in our life is something that every Christian has as part of their new nature and so verse 19 what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe now God is not only uh, interested in us knowing about his grace to us but also his power to us his power to us now his grace to us is is of course uh, part and parcel of his power to us the new nature that he gives to us is part and par parcel of his power or dunamis to us but here it is now just as his grace is exceedingly great and surpassing in greatness to all what we would think so his power to us who believe is also that way that is to say this by the way this is where this is going 
the Lord has not only provided us every grace and has not only provided us faith and has not only provided us every example and not only has he recorded the detailed knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he has provided exceeding great power to live the Christian life. And by the way, that's what we discover that we lack in our Christian life. We know what we have that we have eternal life, we know that we have faith in Christ, we know that Christ is risen from the dead and exalted on high, but we seem to lack power. We do lack power. And our problem is that when we lack power to live the Christian life, we may turn to a different principle than grace through faith to receive that power to live the Christian life. But the apostle here says, I would that you knew uh, the the great hope of his calling and how much power uh, he has given to us uh, that is toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he said, look, there is no... There's no lack of power here. The power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that kind of power is available to you. And uh, by the way, not only did he raise the Lord Jesus Christ, but he ascended in the heavenly places and he set him at his own right hand in the highest heavens. That is to say this, God's power is not only sufficient to save you and to give you eternal life, But God's power is so exceeding that he will bring you into resurrection life where you'll have power over sin, the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You'll have not only will you be say are you will you be saved from the penalty of sin but as you experience his power you will be saved from the power of sin enjoying instead the power of God over sin and by the way that power will will take you all the way to glory uh, just as it took the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've run out of time. We'll take up this uh, marvelous section uh, beginning with the 20th verse next time. In the meantime, may God bless your meditation in his word.